Our scripture today is from Psalm 84, verses 1 through 4, which you'll find on page 513 in your pew Bible. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts! Our soul longs, indeed it faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Happy are those who live in your house, ever singing your praise. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Keith. Think with me for a minute. What is it that makes a really great church? Have you been in enough different buildings to compare the best to the rest? What is it that makes a great church? Is it the light, the acoustics, the size, the windows, the stonework, the woodwork? For centuries, Christians have thought that those things were so important, so we have devoted so many resources, so much energy to make beautiful spaces for our churches. And there are some really great ones out there in the world, aren't there? I've seen a few in my life that have blown me away. Maybe you have too, like Westminster Abbey, or the Duomo in Florence, or St. Peter's in Rome, or even our own great national cathedral in Washington, D.C. Just glorious, glorious buildings. I do have to say, I'm a little afraid that this idea of building beautiful and impressive places for God, that it's kind of gotten lost in today's church buildings. There's a lot of vibrant churches out there that have meeting places that look like an auditorium or a movie theater, like not a window anywhere, (laughs) no stone to be found. And I understand why they create worship spaces like that, but it breaks my heart just a little bit. But for the churches that you have loved the very most, what is it that makes them great? Is it the best architecture? I suspect not. I suspect more important to you even than how a sanctuary looks is what has happened inside of it. I suspect that if I asked you to name off your favorite churches, very high on the list would be the one that very first nurtured you in your faith. The one where you first came to know about Jesus, the one where you first learned about the love of God. Well, that's true for me anyway. As beautiful as so many of those world sanctuaries are, none of those spaces mean as much to me as the sanctuary of College Hill United Methodist Church in Wichita, Kansas. I spent almost every Sunday there for the first 18 years of my life. And probably none of you have ever been in it, but I'll tell you, it's, it's really not the prettiest room in the world. It's not. There are parts of it that before they repainted some of the walls, if you stared at it long enough, you would get dizzy. It's just kind of the way it works. And the very best feature of that sanctuary is actually stained glass that is in the back wall of the balcony. Only the, and the choir doesn't even sit where you guys sit, so the only people that can see it are the preachers. It's just weird, but you know, I don't even care about those weird things about the space. Because it's, it's a holy space, it's a special space for me, it's a sacred space because of what I experienced in that room. The sermons I heard, and the songs I sang, and the prayers I prayed, and the people I hugged, 
and the God that I came to know by worshiping there every week for so many years. You know, I, I feel something similar about the sanctuary at Trinity United Methodist Church in Hutchinson, Kansas, where I was first appointed an associate pastor. I love that room too because of the hundreds of God moments I shared with the congregation there. I love that pulpit because that's where I learned how to preach. And I, I know that many of you here at St. Paul's, you've been here a long time and you all feel a great connection to the room that we now call the chapel the one that's across the narthex there. I know this because it happens to me all the time that one of you or someone who's come back from being gone, someone out of town, will come into the church and take me into the chapel and will stand in there and they'll say, I was baptized here, or I was confirmed here, or I was married here, or we had the funeral for my mother here. Many similar moments, of course, have happened right here in this room in the last 16 years since it was built. You have felt so many holy moments here, been filled with tears and with joy, brought so much of your life here, known the presence of God here, so that this sacred space is like any other place in the world. Together, we have seen that God is present right here. You know that deep and inspiring feeling that we get thinking about sanctuaries that have meant a lot to us. That's the same thing that the people in ancient Israel felt about their temple in Jerusalem. And their temple, it actually combined the, the grandeur of one of the fanciest churches that we can think of and this deep spiritual meaning that we think about in terms of our sanctuaries we've loved. The temple was a massive building. It was the biggest, the fanciest one in the whole country and it dominated the landscape all around Jerusalem because it was built up on the highest hill in town. Think about that for a minute. Isn't that amazing? When they were planning out Jerusalem, they, they saw that best piece of real estate and they didn't say, let's put the fortress up there. Or they didn't say, let's put the king's palace up there. No, they, they gave that best real estate, they gave it to God. So their place of worship was up on the highest hill and you couldn't help but see it from pretty much anywhere in town. And that temple, that was understood to be the holiest place in all of ancient Israel. It was understood to be the place where God's presence dwelled. It held the Ark of the Covenant, which was God's throne on earth. And if you wanted to get in touch with God in ancient Israel, the temple in Jerusalem was the place to go. So people, they would make pilgrimage there. They would do it a lot. A couple times a year, they would travel to Jerusalem to worship at the temple for big festivals like Passover, but they would also come for personal reasons. They'd make a petition to God or, or to celebrate something wonderful happening in their life. So it happened so frequently that people would make pilgrimage to Jerusalem that we actually find specific songs written for pilgrims in the book of Psalms. Maybe you don't know this because we just read it as poetry, but the book of Psalms is actually a book of songs. It's a book of prayers. You know, songs work that way, don't they? They're prayers and songs at the same time. Book of Psalms, it has all kinds of songs in it. Songs of celebration and songs of lament and songs of thankfulness and songs of anger. There are songs written especially for kings and there are songs written for pilgrims. And this Psalm 84 that Keith read part of today is one of those pilgrims' songs. 
So we imagine somebody walking to Jerusalem singing this song, singing about how excited they are to get to God's holy place, singing about how excited they are to worship, to be present in the temple. And so they sing, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, indeed it faints for the courts of the Lord. Happy are those who live in your house, ever singing your praise. Anybody wake up on Sunday morning feeling that way about coming to St. Paul's? My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Is that what's in your head as you're getting ready for worship? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I'm afraid no one would raise their hand. Our attitude about being in worship, I think, can be a little bit more mundane, even a little bit habitual. But for the pilgrims that were in ancient Israel, their excitement would have been building for days and days with all the people that were walking with them as they got closer and closer to the temple. They would have had a long and tiring trip, of course, carrying whatever they needed for multiple days. And just imagine when they first saw that temple up on the hill, the anticipation, how lovely is your dwelling place. My soul longs, indeed it faints, for the courts of the Lord. Now I do want to say, as, as much as the psalmist is so excited about going to the temple, and the temple is God's holy home, the Bible also makes it clear, of course, that, that God can be found anywhere, and God can be worshipped anywhere. In scripture, God actually shows up all over the place, right? Next to the river, on the mountain, in the desert, in the wilderness, in people's homes, in the marketplace. If we look through the stories of the Bible, we find that, that people meet God in all kinds of situations. God's not just bound to one spot. God shows up everywhere. So when we hear that, that song of the pilgrim, that song to the temple, it's not that God can only be found in that special place, but it's rather that that, as one commentator suggests, the experience of God in the temple, in that particular place, puts the pilgrim in touch with God's sovereignty in all places. It's because the pilgrim encounters God in the temple that the pilgrim remembers God can be found everywhere. And just like that's true for the scripture, it's true for us. There's not any place in this world without God's presence. God doesn't skip out on some parts of the world because they aren't beautiful enough or they are too sinful or they're too boring. God is everywhere. God is everywhere equally. We don't find God more present in church than someplace else. God simply is. But, but, we also need special places that help us get in touch with God. We need holy and beautiful places where we can know that we'll meet with God, and that's what church is. We come here to meet with God. We come here to experience and encounter God in a way that touches our hearts and transforms our minds. We meet God in this sanctuary, and that helps us see and know God everywhere that we go. Now, as much as I love a great sanctuary, and this is a great sanctuary, I know that ultimately the building is not what makes the church. There are beautiful buildings all over this country that are no longer used for worship, that are being repurposed into loft apartments or offices, or they're falling slowly into disrepair because the congregation inside of them slowly died away. 
What makes a church is not the building. What makes a church is, it's you. It's you. Your presence is what makes a church a church. Your showing up is what makes the church exist. Without your presence, this is just a big empty building. And when you come, when you come, that's when we have a church. Now, sometime in the last 160 years, most of you decided to become a member of St. Paul's United Methodist Church. Some of you, it was over 50 years ago. For some of you, it was in the last 12 months. Some of you haven't decided to become members yet, which is fine. You know, membership, it's not required to be a part of what we do here. We're glad to have you, member or not. But, but, if you feel like this is your spiritual home, if you feel like this is a place that's going to help you grow closer to God and, and to live out your faith, if you feel like you can serve your neighbors through what we do here, if you feel like this is a place you belong, then I hope you'll seriously consider becoming a member. You don't have to pass a test to do it. You don't have to stand up here at the lectern and give a testimony about your faith to do it. Though if you want to stand up at the lectern and give a testimony about your faith, I will make space for that. That would be great. You know, you don't even have to introduce yourself to the congregation to become a member. I usually do that for you. All you have to do is stand up here in front of these other pilgrims and answer a few questions. First of all, we want to know, do you trust the saving love of God? Do you know that we're lost without grace and that, that we find the promise of new life in Jesus? And then we want to know, do you want to live as Jesus' disciple? And, and if so, then we ask our members to live out that discipleship in five simple ways. You've heard these words many, many times in the United Methodist Church. We ask that you commit your prayers, your presence, your gifts, your service, and your witness. Prayers, presence, gifts, service, witness. Next week, Pastor Bellarmi is going to talk about the first of those prayers. What does it mean for us to commit ourselves to prayer, to pray with and for one another? But today, presence, presence. What do we promise when we promise our presence as a part of St. Paul's United Methodist Church? Now, the senior pastor that I worked with when I was first in ministry, he summarized this in a way I'll never forget because I heard him say it dozens and dozens of times, but also because he made it really simple. He said, presence means if you aren't out of town and you don't have a fever, we want to see you in worship. <laughs> that was it. Easy to understand. It was his way of saying, show up. Be here. Be a part of the community. Don't let the day that you join be the last day that we see you. We want you here. We want your presence. Why? Well, first of all, because coming to worship is a regular way to encounter God. It matters to your spiritual life that you show up here. I mean, can you meet God on your back deck with your coffee in the morning? Of course you can. And I hope that you do, but there's something entirely different about gathering with others and searching together for the Holy Spirit. So come, come regularly. 
Let worship be a part of your ritual of life. Be present here. It will shape you. It will form you. It will fill you. And when you come, like come, really come. Be here. Be present. Don't just come and spend your time thinking about other things. Don't spend worship planning out the rest of your day or writing out your grocery list. Be here. Be open to the beauty of what's happening in this space, to the presence of God, to the people around you. Be present to your own life. Be present to how God might be speaking to you today. You know, we've learned something kind of interesting over the course of this pandemic. And that is that it's possible to be present and still be on our, in worship and still be on our back decks with our coffee. So I think Nick's line actually doesn't work anymore because if you're out of town or you have a fever, you can still worship. You can still worship. So, so those of you that are worshiping online this morning, I, I want you to know that I see you. Well, I don't actually see you. You see me, I don't see you. But I don't ever forget that you're there. I don't ever forget that you're there. And I'm so glad that you're there. I can feel your presence with us, and, and I hope that the rest of the congregation does too. I'm so glad that you still connect and worship together with us, even though you can't physically be here. And, and I know that there are dozens of you that are watching, and it's not even Sunday morning right now. <laughs> You're watching some point later in the week with this miracle of technology. Our, our gathering stretches across space, and it actually stretches across time. It's just amazing. But I, I do have a special word of caution for those of you who are worshiping online. Living out this promise of presence, it takes a little extra effort for you. Because you didn't have to comb your hair and you didn't have to put on shoes to come to worship this morning. But you do have to focus your attention a little more carefully to be present here, to actually be with us, and to not be distracted by all that's happening at home. I mean, you can check your texts and no one is watching. You can keep scrolling through your Facebook feed and Facebook helpfully or unhelpfully will put your video, our video, me right now in a little corner in the bottom of your screen and you can keep scrolling doing two things at once. That's not helpful, Facebook. <laughs> so you have to make a choice to turn off all those distractions and actually be present. So for those of you online and for those of you here in the room, if you find that you have some mental space to wander, and it happens, I know it happens, let yourself wander to God. Let your mind wander to prayer. Let it wander to reflection, not to more memes or to political news posts. My challenge for all of us this week is to lean into presence. And guess what that means? Come back to worship next week. Come again to worship and come with joy. Come with joy. Let the words of the psalmist inspire you about what an amazing thing it is to worship God. Come expecting to meet God here and to grow in our relationship with others. Pay attention to who else is around you in this space. And if there is someone you know from St. Paul's that you haven't seen for a while, invite them to come and join you here. 
If you're worshiping online, say hello to each other. Maybe even send a direct message to someone that you see worshiping and just ask how they're doing. Have a virtual chat in a virtual narthex since you can't have one in the physical narthex today. Be present to God. Be present to one another. Prayers, presence, gifts, service, witness. Those are the things that make our path to follow Jesus, to gather with his disciples, to love him with our lives. Thanks be to God. Amen.